Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to America's Home for Stadium News and Information. Stadium's USA Radio. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. This is it, the swan song for the Georgia Dome. And what a way to go out as host of the NFC Championship game between the Green Bay Packers and the Atlanta Falcons. We'll visit with Atlanta sports historian Jim Weathersby and remember some of the stadium's great moments. Some reaction to the Chargers move up the coast from San Diego to L.A., leaving San Diego with just one major league team. It comes from Los Angeles Times writer Lance Pugmire, who isn't excited about the move. Renovations at Wrigley Field continue, part of a six-year project at the old ballpark. SB Nation's Al Yellen tells us what's changing in the home of the World Series champs. And Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran says the Raiders are one step closer to rolling the dice in Las Vegas. But first, the stadiums beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, the Raiders made it official this week, filing relocation papers with the NFL, declaring their intentions to move to Las Vegas. The move still requires 24 of the 32 owners to approve the relocation. A vote could come in March. In October of last year, the state of Nevada approved $750 million in public funding to go towards a nearly $2 billion stadium. Meanwhile, the Chargers' exit from San Diego is not off to a very good start. It appears dozens of moving companies based in greater San Diego are banding together in an effort to make relocation of the team as difficult as possible. Ryan Charles of Hire a Helper has started a website called WeWon'tMoveYouChargers.com. The philosophy? How can the team move to L.A.? if all movers refuse to move the team. Charles spoke with NBC7 San Diego. It would be a funny visual to see Spanos carrying his own boxes out. I don't think that'll actually happen, um, but you never know. 24 San Diego area movers have joined the protest. Many know it won't stop the team from heading north, but they say it's all about the protest. Construction is underway in San Francisco on the new arena for the Golden State Warriors at a groundbreaking this week. The Warriors' Kevin Durant talked about the team's fan base in the Bay Area. When I talk to people uh, in San Francisco, over in Oakland and East Bay, is that they feel like this team is their team from each side. And uh, to feel that support and love is, uh, is key for us. Uh, it makes coming into work even better. It makes going into Oracle playing in front of those fans even better as well. So we're all excited and uh, for the future and, you know, happy I'm here. The Warriors are playing their final two seasons at Oakland's Oracle Arena before moving into their new 18,000-seat venue in the Mission Bay neighborhood of San Francisco. 
And before the Red Wings and Pistons begin play in Detroit's new Little Caesars Arena, a homegrown rock star will play four shows christening the new downtown venue. It was 1989, my thoughts were short, my hair was long. Kid Rock has dates scheduled in September at the new arena. The shows come about a month before the Red Wings drop the puck, to be followed by the Pistons, who will debut in the facility next October. Bill, that is the very latest. Thanks, Jeff. It's a big ball game coming up in Atlanta this weekend. The Packers and the Falcons, and one of those teams will move on to the next round in the NFL. And coincidentally, this will also be the last major event played in the Georgia Dome prior to the move next year to the brand new Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which appears to be an architectural wonder. We're going to reflect on the Georgia Dome, which has had an interesting history in its own right, as well as about Atlanta sports. We're going to visit with Jim Weathersby, a 40-year Atlanta resident. Jim's website, The Sports historian traces Atlanta sports history. Big weekend down there. I know you follow the Falcons pretty closely, and I understand the tickets are red hot for this one. Yeah, I think they're going well over uh, a thousand bucks in some cases. I mean, it, I haven't seen the hysteria this way since probably the 98 season when they actually did go to the Super Bowl. So we're all hopeful that they uh, they win and somehow uh, take it all. Uh, it's going to be exciting. You know, Jim, I broadcast the NBA for a number of teams and spent a lot of time in Atlanta. One thing I remember distinctly is the nature of the fan base there. I don't think I've seen anything like it. It can get awfully soft. That's the way I would describe it. And maybe it's just limited to pro basketball. You've seen it much more up yeah. close than I have. Can you give us a description of what that yeah. is? Yeah, uh, Atlanta, Atlanta fans are fickle, and part of that is the transient nature of the city. It, it, it's always been a great college town, but the people come and go, and they, they, they cheer for their own teams. And frankly, between the Hawks and the Falcons and the Braves, there's only been one championship between those three franchises, and most of those are about 50 years old. So Atlanta fans haven't had a whole lot to cheer about from a professional standpoint. So when they're losing, we don't show up, but when we're winning, that's a whole different ballgame. Has the uh, Georgia Dome developed into a, a true home field? It's a big, big building, and certainly they've done enough big events in there. The SEC certainly believes in it for their conference football championship. Yeah, it, it, it seats almost 75,000 people. And when it's packed and things are going well, you can't hear yourself think in that stadium. And that's what happened last week when the Seahawks came into town. The, the was the, the roof was raising up and down. I mean, it was wow. crazy. It can get that way when the Falcons are going well. And uh, I, I fully believe it's going to happen again this uh, weekend with the Packers. The Georgia Dome has always been a great football stadium. That was what it was built for. It opened uh, in 1992 for the Falcons. And the stadium is only 25 years old, and, and, and it cost $214 million to build it. And they've had $300 worth of renovations 10 years ago. So it is a great venue. There's not a bad seat in the house. Not just football, but uh, it's hosted some basketball and a lot of concerts. So, frankly, it's it's a shame that the Dome is going to go 
by the wayside. It's, it's due to be imploded in the, the fall of this year, but it, it's a great stadium. Jim, have you had a chance to look at the new Mercedes-Benz facility? Uh, the cost, as I know, on this thing has gone up progressively, particularly when they found out that that fancy roof that they're going to have, the one that's kind of like a, like a giant camera lens, it opens. That's pretty hard to do that, as it turns out. It costs a little more money than they thought it would. Uh, what are your impressions of the new place? Well, I tell you, this is going to be the Cadillac of all stadiums. It's going to rival the AT&T Stadium out there in Arlington. Mm. Uh, this thing is going to cost $1.5 billion. Yep. And uh, it's going to have expandable seating and a retractable roof. And it's this retractable roof that has slowed the construction down. It was originally supposed to be open by May of 2017. The first event will actually not take place uh, until July 30th when the new Atlanta United Major League Soccer team opens their uh, home schedule in the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium against Orlando. But it's supposed to be uh, every bell and whistle that you can imagine uh, is going into this stadium. It better be for $1.5 billion. Jim, I know going back to your college years, you are a big sports fan. You've covered sports in broadcasting during your career, so you have a pretty good background in this thing. And, of course, like all of us who've been influenced by the medium, you have your favorites uh, in terms of broadcasters. And I happen to know uh, one favorite uh, who, uh, it turns out, you do a pretty good impression of him, and that's a guy we've all heard, Keith Jackson. Jackson, uh, is there any merit that uh, your impression is as good as what we hear? Well, I believe so. You know, Keith Jackson went on the wild and raised the announcers, <laughs> formerly of ABC Sports. He used to do Alabama Crimson Tide. He used to do a great call in the University of Alabama from Legion Field to the Blue Moon Possum Sky. He's always been my favorite. It was always a, kind of my reason where I got into broadcasting. I kind of miss the old gentleman. Jim, that's awfully good. A lot of fun. It's Thanks, great. Uh, that's a little something special. We don't get that every day. I'll tell you, that is awfully good. Jim, we wish you well. Continued success with the sports historian. We invite everybody to check it out. A lot of fun, a great read, and you'll get a lot of uh, interesting information and a lot of personal touches, too. Uh, That's what your site is all about. And continued success with that, Jim. Thanks a lot, Bill. Appreciate it. A pleasure. Jim Weathersby, our guest, talking about the last big event at the Georgia Dome. Coming up now, a fond farewell to San Diego's Qualcomm Stadium. San Diego native and L.A. Times reporter Lance Pugmire reflects on his days as a youth following the Chargers and Padres at San Diego Stadium or Jack Murphy Stadium. That's next right here on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. 
The big news of this past week was the move of the San Diego Chargers to Los Angeles, and that means that the giant Qualcomm Stadium, as we now know it, will be sitting empty or relatively empty in the short term. They'll have San Diego State still in there, but in the long term, uh, that will be an empty stadium. We're going to talk about that with a gentleman who has anything but empty memories of Qualcomm Stadium. Stadium. His name is Lance Pugmire. He is a writer for the Los Angeles Times, and he grew up in San Diego and remembers the stadium from his childhood. I would imagine, Lance, uh, with uh, the Chargers coming to L.A., uh, right where you are, but then also your memories of the stadium, this has to be a pretty bittersweet experience for you. What was your reaction when you learned the team was moving? Uh, it's quite devastating, to be honest. I mean, the, the people of San Diego love the Chargers. Charger news is uh, usually front-page news on the uh, San Diego Union-Tribune. And, you know, this is a team that is beloved by the community. And it's not just the people of the city of San Diego who had to vote on approving, you know, funds for a new stadium. It's the people throughout San Diego County that really care dearly about this team and live and die with them. And I mean, this is a, this is a civic uh, body that has been very loyal to an organization that has never won a Super Bowl. And uh, honestly, like the ownership of Dean Spanos has made several missteps throughout the years. And this being the, the last one. How do you rectify the great public support the team has with the fact that nobody was willing to belly up to the bar and provide part of a payment solution one way or another, and the latest approach didn't even involve payment. It was just approving a tax that would be paid essentially by out-of-towners. Uh, to many people looking in on that, Lance, there's a disconnect there. Uh, how do you address that? Well, I address it from the standpoint is that um, this was a vote taken by the people of of the city in the city of San Diego, not the entire county of San Diego. There's a large percentage of the of the stadium population that comes from San Diego County, from outlying areas such as where I grew up in uh, El Cajon and East County, San Diego, and all around, not just the city. The other point is, is that look, if you're an NFL owner, I think this is what the citizens were were believing. If you're an NFL owner, your franchise is worth you know, not just millions, but borderline billion. And you, if, if you can't afford to do this, then find someone else who can. Why is it us? Why is it, why is, are you going to do something that's maybe going to discourage people from coming to, uh, you know, America's finest city? I think that's the ultimate thing. This guy has never uh, provided a winner to the city of San Diego. And now he wants to nickel and dime uh, the city for, you know, the support of, of his new stadium. And I think that, you know, after 30 years of watching his family operate this team and seeing, you know, the results of it, it was like, you know, no, it, this is, we're not going to approve this. You basically, you, you actually wanted to move in the first place. And this solution, you know, that was uh, crafted by NFL owners and by the commissioner, Roger Goodell, to try to save the team, it's not good enough. Yeah, you, you you really want to uh, you know save the Chargers. You should you should make uh, Dean Spano sell the team. 
What are your memories of Qualcomm Stadium? And of course, this is one of the few stadiums ever built that was named after a sports writer at one time, Jack Murphy Stadium. That has to be very dear to your heart. Uh, Take us through some of your memories of the stadium and what you liked about it. Yeah, actually, I read Jack Murphy as a child, Mm. and uh, there was a statue of Jack Murphy, the writer you're uh, alluding to. Uh, right outside the stadium, him and his dog. So it was very sweet as a rider. Um, you know, my memory, my first memory of the, of the stadium was being brought there by my grandfather, who owned uh, a few uh, service stations, gas stations throughout San Diego County. He was uh, one of the original season ticket holders to the team. And so when I was uh, seven years old, when my grandfather brought me to my first game, he brought me, he got me a new Jersey and, and, and actually um, his season tickets were on the press level, which is another, uh, you know, fitting bit of irony, but I just remember it was such a beautiful day and we were playing the Raiders and he told me at the, at the very start, this is the, te- this is the team we hate. I forever hated them. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was uh, a love affair was born really because I was just so taken back by, the excitement that was inside that stadium. Again, the the Charger fans have always loved their team, and there was just such an incredible enthusiasm and excitement and fireworks all around. And it was just a, uh, it was just so compelling to observe. And you know, uh, for the most part, my early years, I, I didn't really go as many to as many Charger games as I went to. Uh, San Diego Padre games. And again, this was a, a, an abysmal team for uh, several years. But um, I just love seeing, you know, the, the people that I could see on television uh, performing in the stadium. And it was uh, it was great source of civic pride to be able to, you know, attend these games and, and watch all of this uh, action. That which is San Diego's loss is L.A.'s gain. How will the Chargers do returning to their original home of L.A.? Uh, I don't. I, I don't know. You're going to be. You're going to be hard pressed to find anyone that actually went to one of the uh, <laughs> uh, original San, or uh, Los Angeles Charger game. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that they've, they the Chargers are, are touting that, but. Uh, who remembers that? Honestly, I mean the uh, the logo was uh, was good, and I wish that they would bring back that all that original throwback uh, gear for this version of the Chargers. But you know the Chargers are you know they they're coming to Los Angeles really in a in a desperate push to try to uh, gain fans, and I think that the only way that they can effectively do that, given that the Rams who are, you know were truly originally from here have already had a year to re- rebuild back their fan base. The only way that the Chargers can try to put a dent in um, gaining the fans is to win. And, you know, this is something that over the course of the last two seasons, they have nine wins out of the last two seasons. So it's been an uphill battle. Now they were devastated by a slew of injuries, especially in the, in the first quarter of the season. And by getting those guys back, including receiver uh, Keenan Allen, running back Danny Woodhead, and uh, their best defensive back, Jason Verrett, along with the number seven pick in the draft, you know, with Phillip Rivers already there, they're going to have a very good uh, opportunity to make strides. But that's the Chargers' best path to building a fan base in the Los Angeles market, because let's be honest, there's such a great selection of teams to choose for 
you're going to go for the one that is going to be achieving success. Otherwise, the Chargers are going to be relegated to uh, we're going to see a lot of Raider fans in that in the new uh, in, at least in StubHub Center for the first couple of years and a lot of visiting fans who will want to pack that place and basically, you know, continue to ease out the Charger fan base. Well, Lance, we want to wish you continued success with the Los Angeles Times. And because of your unique upbringing, you have a tremendous view of the situation regarding stadiums there in San Diego. We wish you well and a lot of continued success. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. It is a pleasure. Lance Pugmire of the Los Angeles Times. We will return now. Mark Madoran and I will step aside. We'll go to the water cooler and talk shop. That is next on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit FanEssentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. It is time to talk shop once again. We examine the big stadium headlines of this week. And for that, as always, in checks Mark Madoran, president and creator of the Stadiums USA website. Now, Stadiums USA is the preeminent source for stadium news and information. And you can listen to this very program in podcast form right on the site. You can test your stadium knowledge at our quiz site. Everything is available to you. Check it out at stadiumsusa.com. Well, here we go, Mark. To no one's surprise, the Raiders made it official this week. They have filed the paperwork. They are one step closer to moving across the state line to Nevada. What is the next part of the process here? Well, the move to Las Vegas seems inevitable. Mark Davis announced this week that he has filed for relocation with the NFL. The owner's vote is his next big hurdle. The next owner's meeting is not scheduled till March, so we will know something fairly soon. But he needs 24 positive votes for relocation Mm -hmm. from the owners. We think he's going to get them because uh, he has some big names in his corner, including Jerry Jones, who is probably the most powerful owner at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Raiders have two one-year options left to play in Oakland, which they will probably exercise and use those two years to build the stadium in Vegas. So I suspect they'll be in Oakland for two more years, and then they will make the move when that stadium is finished to their new digs in Las Vegas. And Oakland really has no alternative to offer, do they? Not any that we've seen that's realistic. There have been a lot of discussions, but there's really been no serious offer on the table. You know, a fascinating story from Forbes magazine on the economics behind this move. Uh, What does Forbes have to say here, Mark? Well, Forbes values the Raiders currently for 2016 at about 20th place. And by the way, 20th place is $2.1 billion. That's the value (laughs) of his football team. Mm. But a Las Vegas address 
will probably bump them up into the top 10. Now, Las Vegas on the surface isn't a great destination. It's only the 42nd largest media market. It actually puts it behind Birmingham, Alabama and Hartford, Connecticut to give you a relative size. But the NFL plays only eight home games, so it really doesn't matter what the size of your community is that you're playing in. There's a couple of things about Las Vegas that make it unique. Number one, there's a huge segment of people with deep pockets there. He won't have any trouble selling corporate suites and premium tickets. The other thing is there are lots of tourists walking around Vegas with cash in their pockets that would probably like to see an NFL game. The Raiders can tap into that as well. So I think it's going to make the Raiders a lot more valuable. And after all, that's what owners want is to increase the value of their franchise. So it'll probably go well up just like the move of the Rams did for that team as well. Mark, the U.S. Bank Stadium, the new stadium in Minneapolis, has received strong reviews, that, of course, being the home of the Minnesota Vikings. But you may remember when we first started reporting on this stadium, we also caught wind of the fact that this stadium was going to be used with a special baseball configuration. How soon do we get to see this beautiful new venue hosting baseball? Well, the dazzling new U.S. Bank Stadium isn't just a pretty face for football. The stadium, as you mentioned, was designed as a dual-purpose stadium, but setting the venue up and switching it over seems to have been somewhat of a delay. The Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Association has played indoors uh, for many years at the now-demolished Metrodome, and I played there as well many times. Um, They play... February and March games in that facility, because where else in the Great Lakes are you going to get a baseball game in, in late February or March? So uh, this year they had started to schedule games as of February 21st. The stadium management group had to cancel, though, the first nine games that they had scheduled in there because of a conflict with a tractor pull event. And they have to get that all cleaned up and then rebuild for baseball, including building the mound and setting the bases out, etc. Mm-hmm. The problem appears to have been they just needed more time to convert the facility back to baseball. So those nine games were rescheduled for sometime in March. They do have about 140 baseball games currently scheduled there for uh, during the spring season. So there'll be plenty of baseball at the U.S. Bank Stadium. Some more news out of the Twin Cities, Mark. The overhaul of the Target Center in Minneapolis continues. This particular arena designed very much like the Bradley Center in Milwaukee. Bring us up to date on what's being done uh, for the home of the Timberwolves. Well, Glenn Taylor, who owns the Timberwolves, just shelled out an additional $9 million for the upgraded Target Center. This brings the project up to about $138 million. The work is currently proceeding on the concourses, the seating bowl, and the restrooms. The additional money is going actually toward an upgrade of the Wi-Fi system for more digital signage and for a new skyway that's off the back of the arena. Uh, by the way, Taylor also owns the Star Tribune of the Minneapolis area. The Target Center was one of the older venues in Minneapolis compared to the Target Field and U.S. Bank Stadium, which is brand new. And it's kind of targeted the center as needing some repairs and upgrade renovation. So the center is getting a new entryway as well. It's a very uh, unique-looking glass entryway. It'll it'll be great when it's finished. Um, it's also getting some other premium amenities. So that's going to be a wonderful area. And uh, I think the Target Center is going to be around for many years 
Time to roll back the clock once again, Mark. Take a look at some important dates in stadium and ballpark history. What do you have this week? Well, this week in history is devoted a lot to franchise relocation. In 1988, St. Louis football Cardinals owner Bill Bidwell announces that his team is moving to Phoenix. They'll begin play the next season at Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe. This week, 1995, the Rams announced they're leaving Los Angeles to move to St. Louis. They will temporarily play at Old Bush Stadium before moving to the Edward Jones Dome. And this week, 1996, the NHL approves the Winnipeg Jets moving to Phoenix, where the franchise changed its name to the Coyotes. Now, one more item before we get out of here, Bill. Our weekly segment known as Stadium's USA Trivia. Uh, You're a great player of this uh, game, (laughs) not always very successful. This question, along with many others, can be found at the stadiumsusa.com website. And here we go, Bill. Your question this week, right up your alley, what college basketball venue is affectionately referred to as the Loud House? The Loud House. The Loud House. Is it Cameron Indoor at Duke? Yep. Is it our favorite college basketball facility, Assembly (laughs) Hall at Indiana? (laughs) Is it Freedom Hall in Louisville? Yeah. Or is it the Carrier Dome in Syracuse? Okay. Okay. Well, I think it's Cameron Indoor Stadium. That is a very loud house at uh, beautiful Duke University. Small. It has a very low roof, and that sound just pounds down in that place. A very logical and well thought out <laughs> answer, but unfortunately, wrong. <laughs> the correct answer is actually the Carrier Dome. The nickname was coined the year the venue opened in 1980 for the way the noise echoed through the dome with the Teflon-coated fiberglass roof. How about that? I should know that, too. I've done a game out of there. Good to talk with you. We'll see you next week. Have a good week, Bill. Mark Madoran, We Talk Shop. Coming up, construction continues at the home of the World Series champions. We'll visit the friendly confines of Wrigley Field next on SB Nation Radio. World Series trophy is buzzing around Chicago. They displayed it at the Cubs convention here recently, and a lot of people are getting the chance to see it following the Cubs championship. But let me tell you, there's been a buzz of activity in Chicago following the season, and the Cubs are in the midst of a six-year plan to completely make over Wrigley Field, their home ballpark. And as soon as the final out was recorded, they went to work. Shovels hit the dirt inside this classic ballpark, and we're going to talk about it with Al Yellen, the managing editor of Bleed Cubby Blue. This is the SP Nation website dedicated to everything associated with the Cubs. Well, Al, how about it? Give us an update. What is going on uh, there at uh, Wrigley Field right now? Well, this winter, there's a lot of things going on that you that that can't be seen. Most of the work is, you know, the, a couple of years ago when they began the project, everything was viewable from the street where they were building the new bleachers and the video boards. Now more of the work is going on inside. The biggest thing that's happening this winter is they're digging an enormous hole right behind home plate. That's where the 1914 club, a high-end uh, club, is going to go opening in 2018. So right now it's a big hole in the ground. They'll eventually have to cover the hole and put the seats back because they took out all the seats behind home plate. 
The other major thing that's being done this winter is the relocation of the bullpens, which had been on the field, uh, really since Wrigley Field had been constructed. They're being moved underneath the bleachers, and the locations where the bullpens were are being replaced by some more seating. Uh, personally, I'm going to miss uh, seeing the bullpens on the field. I kind of like watching the pitchers warm up. Uh, they've been able to interact with fans uh, over the years. So that'll be, it's kind of a loss to me. Uh, you know, they're saying it's being done for player safety so that you know, outfielders running at baseballs don't run into pitchers and benches and whatnot that's over there. But mm-hmm. I think it's going to be, it'll be something that'll be missed. I think that's probably perhaps from a fan's basis, the biggest change. Is it not or the most controversial thing that they are doing? Yeah, I think most fans wanted to uh, wanted to keep the bullpens on the field. In fact, even some of the pitchers, uh, Jake Arrieta was quoted uh, last uh, September as saying that he preferred to have the bullpens on the field because it was better to warm up in conditions that were identical to game conditions instead of you know warming up in an enclosed place. And I, you know, I can see his point there. I think if the pitchers had anything to say about it, they would have left it where it was. But you know, money talks. They want the extra seats, and like I said, even though they say it's for player safety. I think this is really kind of more about money. There is a large building under construction just west of the field, and this will be eventually the new headquarters uh, for the team. It looks like, uh, driving by it several times, it's a fascinating structure, but it also, they're really shoehorning that in there, Al. Fill us in on that. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a it was once called the Triangle Property. Mm-hmm. because of the shape of the lot. Years and years ago, there was a coal yard on that uh, property, which uh, existed until the 1960s. After that, it, it hosted a, uh, there was a hamburger joint there in the 1960s. And then that building where the hamburger place was uh, became something called Yum Yum Donuts, which was a popular place for fans to go to until uh, about the end of the 1990s when it finally closed. That building was eventually wound up being used for part of Cubs offices. I mean, that's one of the reasons they're, they're putting this building up is because there was no space for the large staff that the Cubs uh, offices needed. In mm-hmm. fact, you know, they, uh, when the Ricketts family first took over the team, Cubs office uh, Cubs office workers were working out of trailers in the parking lot. So yeah. Yeah. it's 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 definitely needed. It's a six plus story building which will not only host offices, but there's also going to be a TV studio in there for eventually the Cubs TV network that they want to start. There'll be some uh, restaurants. So it's going to be a place where, you know, not just the Cubs employees go, but fans can go into parts of this building. Al, collectively to the moment with the changes that have been made at the ballpark, some of them have been a little controversial. Some of them have changed some of the viewing experience of the ballpark. Overall, how have the fans adapted to it? I think you're mainly talking about the video boards. Uh, You know, the video boards were very controversial. Uh, when they were first proposed, you know, I was never opposed to them. I, I had kind of hoped the Cubs would put in video boards as, as, as long ago as the 1980s. You know, they, they've designed them in such a way that they blend in very well. They provide useful information. And, you know, it, it, Tom Ricketts once told me that he said Wrigley Field is not a museum. There, there's people who would like Wrigley Field to stay, you know, the way they remember it when they were kids in 1960 or 1980. And it just can't be that way. They, the Cubs have to keep up with 29 other teams. They have to do it. I think they did it in a very tasteful way, and, and I like all the information that, that they provide. You know, Al, you mentioned that Wrigley Field is not a museum, but it functions almost as a museum for many. 
if we were to drive by there, let's say we got in a car, we went down, we drove right by there right now, we would see many people at any hour of the day stopping to have their picture taken with the big Wrigley Field sign and Chicago Cubs there in the background. I mean, it does function that way. Oh, it, it, you know, about it. I mean, you know, people do, but it's more it's more kind of an an iconic tourist destination more so than a museum, especially now when they can take pictures with the sign saying World Series champions. But uh, yeah, there's so there's kind of a, a museum vibe. Uh, the, the one of the things the Cubs have done in the renovations is they put some put together some historical displays of memorabilia and put them in the bleachers, uh, which of course are only accessible to bleacher fans. But they did a really nice job on that, and the Cubs are you know, they're 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 trying to to curate their history and conserve it so that they can preserve it and put it on display. So. They can both use Wrigley Field as, you know, the 100-year history of it and as well as making it a financially viable place going forward. Al, it's great to visit with you. For you, this is a little bit of an off-season, but let's face it, you're on a 365-day-a-year beat covering the Chicago Cubs, especially right now. It does. It never really ends. I mean, even with the, you know, the off-season is quieter only because there's no games, but there always seems to be news surrounding the Cubs. And, of course, spring training starts in only about five weeks. Al, thank you. Thanks for having me. Very good. Al Yellen, our guest. That's our program for this week. Bill Hazen saying thanks for being with us and inviting you to come back and join us again next week. Straight ahead, a full day of sports coverage coming your way on SB Nation Radio. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.